So if you are little, go ahead and follow Bob. Parents, your kids are going to the back media room, which is going to be through um, the, the back cafe area there. And then there's a, a door down the hall, so just kind of in the um, back right <laughs> corner as you face the front. Uh, so I will pray, and then we will get going on the book of James. Lord, thank you so much for... For this group of people that we get to gather, we get to laugh, we get to dine, um, we also get to cry with one another, and we get to bear one another's burdens. Lord, I thank you for what you have given uh, James to write and for us to read. Lord, and I pray that these words would be moving to us, um, and that we would move closer and closer to you, and that we would come into greater Christ-likeness. Amen. So if you want to turn with me or open your device or whatever uh, method by which you read the Bible, uh, James 1, 1 through 18 is going to be where we're going to be today. And uh, we're opening up a a four-week sermon series going through the book of James. And um, so we'll start with James 1. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises in its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one who is tempted, when he is tempted, say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation due to change. Of his own will he is brought forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Um, a few summers ago, I was, I was landscaping uh, up in Bemidji, where we used to live, and um, at this we had these really great customers. I really like going out working for them. It usually, you know, I'd, he was uh, he was from Brooklyn, and so I'd show up, and he'd always, you know, say, "Come out with this great Brooklyn accent," and ask me like, "Yo, Mike, did you bring your chainsaw with you today?" And it's like, 
Yeah, I did, Phil. I did. And he's like, all right, well, I just want you to just, he's like, I just want to look out my, I just want to see lawn, just lawn, just nothing but lawn, right down to the lake. So like anything, you know, he's like, ah, take down that tree. Like, how about this one, Phil? Yeah, take it down. And so we just wanted big trees and lawn, and that was it. So if it was a little tree, we were taking it out. And uh, the guy that I worked with, his name was John, and he really liked going out to Phil's too, because Phil was just like, hey, John, did you, did you bring your bobcat today? Yeah, just, just take all that and just knock it all over. And so John is like, totally content to just spend all day sitting in the bobcat making things look great and I was always completely content to just sit and play with a chainsaw and uh, at the end of the day smell like two cycle engine oil and freshly cut lumber which is my favorite smell on the planet um, and so one day we're out we're working at working at Phil's place and um, and a friend of mine had gone in for uh, for uh, uh, an operation, he'd had a few seizures, and they were trying to figure out what is going on. They, they had a couple scans, and they noticed he had this mass on his brain, and they're going, oh, this isn't great. We're, we need to go in, and we we got to check this out. Um, and so I'm, I'm sitting, and I'm having my lunch, and we're just about ready to go back out to out to work, and my phone rings, and so I pull it out of the cooler, and it's, it's my friend's dad. I'm going, oh, this is, I should probably take this one. And... Uh, and he picks up and he says, hey, we just got the results back, um, and uh, it's cancer, and it's uh, of a pretty bad kind, and um, he's got about a year or two to live, maybe more, but that's kind of statistically likely, that's kind of what we're looking at. And I was just crushed, because I'm like, what in the heck? Um, it's a good friend of mine. He's, uh, we went to, went to Bible college together, and uh, he'd just moved back to Minnesota from, from seminary. He'd gotten a job in the Twin Cities. He was working with some other friends of ours, and it was like, man, like, things are coming to place. We'd had all these dreams and these aspirations of doing things together, being in the same state, and even though we probably wouldn't be working at the same church, it was like, man, how are we going to work together and collaborate with all these, you know, bring all of our friends together once in a while and, and you know, kind of flesh out these dreams that we'd been that we'd spend all this time, you know, like you're in college, you're sitting up late, you're talking about these great plans of the future. And I'm sitting at Phil and Beth's and I'm just watching these things just vanish like a vapor. And, uh, <clears throat> and I've just got no clue. I'm just going. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the summer. Earlier that, that winter, um, we'd buried another friend of mine who hadn't hit their, their 30th birthday yet. And so all these memories are coming back to me, and I'm just going, God, this really doesn't make any sense. I really don't know what to do with this. And so that's, uh, so with that, we're going to... And so maybe some of, some of us have had that experience, too. Um, it might not be death. Uh, it could be just an illness. It could be a job. Um, you know, you might have a job that just is totally sucking the life out of you, or you're having a, a situation um, with work, or you, that you don't have work. You know, it could be family members. I know that sometimes, uh, you know, as kids, we look at our parents and we just go, "This is totally crazy. I have no idea what, what what's going on here." Parents, sometimes we look at our kids and we just go, "What happened to you?" Sometimes it's within our own lives we're we're encountering these these kind of dark nights of the soul. And no matter, despite all the evidence around us, we just can't seem to see from behind the veil. So wherever you're at, we've all had these moments where we've, most of us, I'd say, you know, if, if you live long enough, you know, and you experience enough life, eventually you kind of have these moments where you just, 
you kind of look at, at God and you just go, I don't get it. And these are trials. They're, they can be as, as simple. Andrew and I were talking the other, just last night, I mean, sometimes a trial is, gosh, like my back is sore. That can be a trial. If you, you, know, if you work and all of a sudden you're, you, know, you, you can't move very well, or Nick's talked about the days where, you know, back troubles. I think I'm noticing biking and running are kind of bringing these about, these endurance activities. Maybe we should knock those off. But they bring about this pain and this soreness. And so it can be something as contrite as that, or it can be something as, as gut-wrenching as getting that phone call that says, it's not going to go well. So with that, I just want to run through... I'm just going to go through James. Um, opened with that, that verse. And so as we have that, the opening verses in mind, as we go through, we're going to talk about trials. James is going to talk a little bit about temptations, but just so that we don't, I want to, we're just going to hang with trials for today. And uh, I don't want to get too scattered. And so I'm going to talk about trials and steadfastness. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Um, as I mentioned a few weeks back when I preached, I don't, I don't assume that everybody in here uh, has read all of or any of the Bible. Um, I kind of come into this under the, under the notion that we're all kind of starting with various levels of, of biblical knowledge, but I want us to all understand and kind of get on the same page and see uh, the biblical characters for who they are, for as people who walked around flesh and blood like you and I and, and wrestled with some of the very same things that we did. And I also want us to, to try to see the way that, um, you know, that some of these different characters uh, appear throughout the scripture. So James here, um, he's the half-brother of Jesus. And, not, and this book, or this letter that he writes, isn't the only place we see him. We see him mentioned in Luke. We see him mentioned in Acts. Uh, and we, we learn a few things about him. And first so it says, so James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is really, we need to look at this and, and um, I just want to set some of the stage, kind of give us that background information um, so this isn't going to necessarily be like a sitcom sort of a thing. This is going to be a, like a longer movie. And I'm just going to give us the preview and the intro, and then Bob and Andy and myself over the next couple weeks are going to kind of flesh this out and develop this character of James um, and, and who he is and what he looks like. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for James to write Lord Jesus Christ is really kind of interesting. Because earlier in Luke, when we look at James... He thought that Jesus was crazy, right? So he's the half-brother, and so is any, anybody here an older sibling or the oldest sibling? That's me. I'm first child, right? So if you, if you ask my brother, you know, like, and then who here is not an oldest sibling? So like the, the rest of you all, like who's, who, okay. So how many of your older siblings thought they were God? Right? They're just walking around. And so James, his whole life has grown up with this context of just like, yeah, uh, you know, Jesus is walking around. Hey, I'm the son of God. And James is going, yeah, okay, whatever. This, yeah, sure, typical. Oldest child thing going on. And then this really bizarre thing happens to James is he sees his older brother die and then three days later rise again. And so James, who'd spent all this time chasing Jesus around saying, dude, you're nuts, and you've got to knock this off. 
Like, I know that mom and dad talked about this time where the angel came and visited and then y'all ran away to Egypt and you came back around, whatever. I don't care. You're crazy. This is nuts. You got to knock this off. And all of a sudden he's sitting there and he's, he knows that his, his brother died. And then he's sitting there having a fish sandwich with his brother for breakfast. And he just goes, oh, yeah, Jesus, it, it took me a while to get here. It took me a while to understand who you are, and it took me a while to see you for who you are, and that, yeah, you are the Son of God. And so for James to write this, to say that I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, is pretty profound. Like, we've got to kind of start to wrap our mind around that and see that James isn't just, oh yeah, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, it's, it's this typical church language, whatever else. No, this is, this is big. James has caught a vision of the kingdom of God. He has seen the way that his brother lived and walked around on this earth, and he's caught this vision, and he's like, everybody else has to see this. And Jesus is like, yeah, man, come follow me. Let's do this. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. In some of the other New Testament uh, letters uh, written by Paul and Peter and others, they're written to specific churches at specific times. James is written, it's kind of this shotgun blast. And if you, if you read through the first part of James, it really reads like this Twitter feed. It's just, bam, here's a message. Bam, here's this thing. Bam, here's this thing. And it's just line by line, these pithy sayings that sound actually a lot like Jesus. And if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, um, just side note, if you want to do some more reading over the next couple of weeks and, and get some more out of this, uh, out of our time together on Sunday mornings, read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the, the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then read through James. And you'll notice that James sounds a lot like this guy Jesus. And you're going, yeah, because like, if you brought my brother and I in here, not only would we look alike, but we'd also sound alike, not just in how we talk, but what we say and how we say it, because we listened to the same parents tell the same stories growing up, and we had a lot of the same similar, uh, similar experiences growing up. And so James is going to sound a lot like Jesus, and his message is going to be really grassroots, boots on the ground, really simple. He's not doing abstract theology. It's really practical. It's just, hey, here's the deal. All you 12 tribes of the dispersion, that's, that's kind of this Old Testament code for just saying, hey, all y'all, we're all in this together. We're all united, and we're, we're supposed to be moving forward here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James has seen his brother Jesus walk around. And does anybody have a smartphone on him? Okay, this is, this is your time to use your smartphone in church. Can someone pull up a definition of steadfast? So we look, look through this passage today, even right here. Um, Verses two and four, two through four, steadfastness is mentioned twice, and uh, we see it again in another. And it's, so it's this theme throughout James, steadfastness. I like that everyone's using their their voice cues. This is great. Does anybody have one? What do we got? Resolute, dutifully firm, dutifully firm, 
and unwavering. I love that. You know, so there's this. One more time. Resolute. Dutifully firm and unwavering. And so all of James's life, he's looked to his older brother, and he's just seen this guy who he thought was crazy be resolute, dutifully firm, and unwavering with a vision of the Father, walking toward that Father with steadfastness, with this resolute, unwavering notion that there is a kingdom out there that is not of this world that needs to be brought to this world through the people that the Lord has planted in this world. And he also saw the way that James saw it through Jesus, saw the way that the Lord looked at his people. He wants them to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But he understands that steadfastness takes time. There's a progress piece. You know, there's, he's probably heard the story that Jesus says about, um, you know, there's a man, he's going to go heal, and, and Jesus says, I'm going to heal this, this child of yours. And the man says, I, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And so James understands that, that God is looking for perfection, but there's a progress to this perfection. And so as we think back to the story I told earlier, I'm out there raking afterward, cleaning up, um, after getting this phone call from my friend's dad. And, uh, and I'm not thinking, oh, this is, this is a joyous occasion. I'm so glad that my friend has brain cancer. This is delightful. No, this, it's not sweat that's running down my face, it's tears. And I'm hiding that behind my sunglasses because it's the middle of the summer and I'm thankful for the warm weather. And then I spend the next couple weeks driving every day back and forth to work, listening to the Casting Crown song, I'll praise you in this storm, because I'm going, I don't get it, God, but I know that you're in this. And I know that it's not the trial that is supposed to be the joyous thing, but it's the steadfastness that's the result of that, that is the joyous thing. And even James, so, so why does James say to count it all joy? Is it because he had this really easy life that just, oh yeah, you know, like trials are no big deal. You know, some, I think sometimes anybody like me that, that sometimes when we read scripture, we, this kind of glossy veneer gets painted over the, the, script, the, the characters in scripture where it's like, oh, they must have had it just perfect. They're walking around with Jesus and they get it. No, like James grew up with Jesus and didn't even get it until long after. Um, And now think of James. So when he writes this, so ink is not cheap, right? So if, if it's written down, there's, there's something to this. And so let's talk a little bit about James' background. So he sees Jesus, um, and he's hanging around with these people, and they're building this church. And the people who are building this church have seen uh, their, their leader has been murdered. Um, their leader was, before he was murdered, he was betrayed by one of their good friends, uh, there's this guy named Judas, and he betrays Jesus. And, and he wasn't a bad guy the whole time. Like he was, he was one, of their, one of their closest friends. So he, betray, he betrays their, their, close, their other close friend, and then he commits suicide. So now you've got this group of people who are building a church with a leader who's just been murdered and a best friend who's just committed suicide. And as the church grows... Peter and James are, are there in the church in Jerusalem, and Peter says, hey, there's some, there's some stuff I've got to go do, James. You're in charge of this. And James, who is known to be a man who is a peacemaker, 
and a guy who spent a lot of time on his knees in prayer, so much so that they said that his, uh, his knees were like that of a camel because he spent so much time on prayer. That's kind of crazy. And so when he writes this, count it all joy when you, when you face trials, it's not, he's not saying this lightly. He's experienced this. He's walked through trials, and he's seen the steadfastness of the Lord, and he's seen the way that the Lord has continued to work through the trials of all various kinds. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and, the, and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Trials are not God's goal. Steadfastness is the goal. God is good and he is steadfast. And he has called us to be like him and to be like his son. And through James, he's just giving us some practical wisdom on how we do that. And so sometimes, as I talked about that veneer, there's a, I sometimes find it difficult to connect. I see these, these characters from a long time ago, and I just go, man, how, what does that look like? I, I, I get it, but like, you know, they were there with like Peter and James, and then it's just, what does it look like 2,000 years out? Um, 500 years out even. So I've got this, this picture, one of my favorite stories of kind of what this looks like, what it looks like to be steadfast and to see that this life is not, um, there's more to this life than just this life. Whereas if anybody remembers, if you were here on Easter, Bob used a quote, he says, when I come to die, when we come to die, we do not die. My body dies, but that's not I. Does anyone remember that? So like just a striking picture, right? Where we, we start to see this life as, as not, not just our own, and, and we see this life as, as momentary, and there's, there's more to it than just the birth date and the death date. Um, and I think one of the stories throughout church history that really encapsulates this well is this guy named Dirk Willems. Anyone ever heard of Dirk Willems? I mean, aside from having an awesome name, does anybody know anything about Dirk? Well, I got something from his, uh, from his, from his Instagram here, if we can pull up that picture of Dirk. Um, so Dirk is this guy on the left, and uh, Dirk was part of the, the Anabaptist revolt, revolt um, or the Anabaptist movement, excuse me, um, and that's not anti-Baptist, that's Anabaptists, um, and uh, they, were, they were this group that after the Reformation, uh, they saw kind of all that was going on, and they just said, man, New Testament, that's where, that's where we want to be, and they really keyed in on this Sermon of the Mount, um, and they just said, yeah, we're... We just want to see this kingdom. We see that as here and now, and we want to make that manifest throughout all of the world. And um, the, 
the government where they were were like, you know, uh, we'd, we'd really kind of like you to do things differently. And they're like, well, this is what we see we're going to do, and we're not a part of this kingdom. We see ourselves as members of a, of a greater kingdom. And whatever you need to do to us, do to us, but this is what we're going to do. They have this resolute, steadfast faith. And so our boy Dirk here gets arrested and put in prison because of, because of what he believes. And they put him in this castle. And they'd converted this castle into a prison, and so there's a moat around this castle. And Dirk finds some cloth, and he starts tying some knots together, and he makes this rope, and he uh, lowers himself down through a window and takes off across the frozen moat. Now, if you've spent time in prison in Germany in the 1500s, that's a really great diet plan. Uh, You lose a lot of weight. And so he was able to run right across the ice, no big deal. Well, this guard here uh, had been eating pretty well, And he fell through the ice. So Dirk is running away to safety. Hears the cries of the man behind him and turns around and says, what would Christ do? Christ is about living life to the full. Christ is about wholeness. Christ is about reconciliation. I need to go pull this man out of the water. Can we talk about how bizarre that is for a moment? What kind of, like, what does Christ have to do in my life to get me to the point where the person who's pursuing me, trying to kill me, falls, like, if I see that guy fall through the ice, I'm going, yep, okay, got what's coming to him. I'm, I'm going to run on to safety. I'm going to escape trials of many kind. I'm not going to consider it joy. See ya, I'm out of there. But Dirk says, no. There's more to this life than this life. And he comes and he pulls the man out. And in the process of pulling him out, he's captured. And despite the guard's wishes, he's later burned at the stake. Knowing that he's going to certain death, he comes back and pulls the guard out because he knows that his testimony and the way that he lives his life can speak volumes into eternity far beyond what he sees in the day-to-day. So given these stories, as we think about trials, and so as we think about James, and we think about some of the characters from Scripture, and we think about our guy Dirk, and we start to think about our lives here and the trials through which we're going, how are we doing with those trials? Do we have God's vantage point? Are we able to look and see the steadfastness of the Lord and the way that the Lord continues to work through those trials? Verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation due to change. No variation due to change. Christy still love that. Is it resolute? Resolute, dutifully firm, and unwavering. Does that sound like any, to anyone else like no variation due to change? Sometimes we, get, we think, oh, you know, in, in the midst of our trial, that the Lord is steadfastly punishing us for something. You know, we, we kind of hang on to this really odd animistic, pantheistic, uh, you know, like, oh, this is, you know, this karma thing or whatever. 
And while our actions sometimes have consequences that are in direct correlation to our disobedience, it does not change the way that the Lord sees us. It does not change the way that he continues to pursue us. There's this guy named Zane Hodges, another great name. He has this great quote that says, There is no higher honor than to be the object of God's gracious and loving concern. So can we, can we step back in the midst of our trials and see who we are in the sight of God? Are we willing to step in and to see God's character and the way that he continues in steadfastness with no variation due to change, pursuing us and setting us on a course of holiness? And it may hurt and we may not make it out alive. But he says, there's more to this life than this life. And I need you to get that, and I want you to come and follow me. And there's no place where I'll take you that I haven't gone already. So I just start to wonder, what does it look like when we start to live this life that is in our life? What does it look like for us to be steadfast? James was a man who was known as a peacemaker, a wise man, a guy who spent considerable, considerable time in prayer. He took this love God, love people thing really seriously. So what, what's it going to look like for us to get that kind of steadfastness? What sort of wisdom are we pursuing? In our relationships, what are, how are we being steadfast and representing the Lord to our neighbor, to those around us? to our coworkers, to our spouses, to our roommates. This time tomorrow, what needs to be different in our life to be steadfast? And in order for that to happen, what needs to be different today? This hour, this minute, later on this afternoon, What's the first thing that needs to happen so that we can continue to look like Christ? That we can look more and more like Christ? That our steps start to come in line with his? What does it look like to have Christ's vantage point in our trials and that we would begin to have steadfastness take root in our day to day just going to give us a, a minute or two to ponder that and I'll, I'll close the time of preaching and prayer and the band will come back up and we'll sing one more song and then we'll we'll get to Eden So take some time to consider what needs to be different in your life. To heed the, word of, the words of James. To walk out our talk and through trials grow in our holiness.